Grace Ministry, and uh, David has recently begun serving uh, Thirst Missions. Thirst Missions. Uh, it's a uh, parachurch type of organization designed to help facilitate mission trips both here in the states and outside. I'll let him share whatever he wants to about that, but uh, I just wanted him to come and whatever God's put on his heart, I, uh, I respect David and trust him and know that he will bring the word for us today and let's give our attention to him. Let me pray for him. Father, we do give you thanks for your amazing grace that we've sang about today, Lord, and for your mercies that are new every morning, Lord, mm -hmm. we praise you. Thank you, God, for that we have been redeemed and set free. We're no longer who we used to be. So now we just ask you once again, Father, to pour out your Holy Spirit and your grace Jesus. upon us. And help us to hear what you're saying to us today, Lord, and help us to receive the word that it may become <coughs> fruitful and produce fruit that will last in our lives and, and, in, this, and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. Um, I'll start with confession. <laughs> That's always good, right? Um, after years and years of trying to be prepared before I speak, uh, I waffle always between being prepared and then just allowing the Lord to say what He wants to say which can be dangerous because sometimes it's what David wants to say and not what the Lord wants to say. <laughs> but um, so this week, uh, as, as I was doing my work with Thirst Missions, that's why I wore the t-shirt. Yeah. Um, um, I've been thinking and praying about today for days, but <clears throat> I didn't exactly get out my concordances and my go-tos and everything, I thought, well, I want to share about what Thirst is doing and that's best done from the heart. But then, um, it's against my nature to just want to not speak from the Word of God. <laughs> and uh, so, I've been mulling for a couple of days over where God would have me go. Uh, the funny thing is, I've been listening uh, in, in some of the teaching I listen to week to week to Esther. Then, Friday and yesterday, God took me to Matthew 22, <clears throat> the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Did we hear that today? <laughs> and by the way, I own uh, two copies of the Book of Common Prayer, but I didn't open either one of them to get ready today. <laughs> so if we're on the calendar with your scripture, which you probably are, I didn't know anything about it. And then this morning, as I was doing my quiet time, I thought... Now, did God really want me in Matthew? Or does He really want me over here? And so He took me straight to James chapter 2. 
verses 14 and beyond. I'm like, okay. So, maybe God knows what he's doing after all. And um, so, I wanted to start. I want to tell you about Thirst Missions. But I want to tell you about um, just the life of a believer also. And I am going to start in Matthew 22 and just reread verses uh, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and here's the amazing thing that our Lord makes. The statement he makes. This next verse 40. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. All of the law. That's our first five books of the Bible. And all the prophets Isaiah through Malachi are summed up in loving God with all that we are, all our whole being, with all our whole strength, and out of that, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, um, you know, in, in all fairness, this has been on my mind because um, I've been attending Grace Church and Ben has been preaching for a month now on uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and love. But, you know, what is love? I, I kind of ask that rhetorically, but I also ask it as a question. Um, feel free to jump and shout an answer anytime because I'm not an orator I'm a teacher so what is love if I were to listen to the radio or if I were to turn on the television if I were to go to a movie um, the world around me says that love is a feeling I either have or I don't have which is kind of scary because depending upon what I ate last night, I may or might not love you. <laughs> I mean, really. Or if I've got a bad migraine, you may be up the creek. Love is, is not an emotion. Love is an intentional decision to put yourself behind the needs and the well-being of somebody else. See, um, over the years I've counseled many people premaritally. And I've counseled many people's marriages who were in a rocky spot. And then there have been those who've come to me because they just don't love each other anymore. And if you've been there, God has grace for that, okay? I'm not trying to belittle that at all. But you know what? 
tough noogies if you don't like each other anymore. Love isn't about what you like. I mean, honestly, on any given day, in any given part of the day, do you, you, do you think that the Lord would really like me? Or you, for that matter? I mean, if you listen to my wife, I'm not too likable sometimes. <laughs> but, but love is not about an emotion. Love is a commitment. Love is, no matter how bad you look, how bad you sound, how bad you smell, how bad you behave, I'm going to do what's best for you. Not what's best for me. Does that sound like anybody we know? Jesus. Yeah. We speak and we sing and we pray and we teach about the love of God. Where would we be without the love of God? That's mercy. That's grace. Because of our well-being, God gave us what we did not deserve. That's grace. And saved us from what we very much deserve. That's mercy. They're the same coin. You can't have one without the other. So... Love, the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. And out of that, to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, there's a difference between loving yourself and being self-centered and selfish. Self-centered and selfish people don't look at anyone but themselves. But someone who loves God first, out of that, understands who they are, understands what they are, understands what the Lord has done for them, and all of a sudden, it's easy to love other people. Two uh, weeks ago, week before last, I was in Houston and San Antonio, uh, which is where we have work with Thirst Missions. We're still cleaning up uh, people's homes. We're still rebuilding homes. You know, the, the next disaster has happened. The Carolinas uh, desperately need our prayer and help, but they're literally still digging out. But all the news cameras have long since left Houston and the Texas coast. Because, I mean, the city of Houston, it's looking pretty good. You would not know there'd been a flood. But in Wharton, Texas, where we work, where there are a lot of, uh, shall we say, economically challenged individuals, a lot of people who don't have nice houses, and a lot of people who didn't have them to begin with, uh, they had 10 feet of water. The whole town of Wharton downtown was underwater and for miles outlaying. And uh, so I got week before last to visit in the homes of four people that we'd already helped this past summer. Two of those homes had power 
two did not. One of those homes had water, <laughs> three did not. I mean, we had teams there all summer and there's that much work to do. There are hundreds of people camping in what was their house because they have no power, they have no water, and either it's gutted or it has been gutted in sheetrock, but that's all that's been done. And so the need is great. I got to listen to these four people tell me about how grateful they were to God for his people. See, when we do something out of love, the credit always goes to the Lord, yeah. not to us. When I was reading uh, this morning, uh, this wasn't what I was reading, this is where the Lord took me, uh, just in my mind and my heart. He took me to James chapter 2. And there's a, there's a history here for me. You got to understand that I was not from an immediate Christian family. Extended Christians, yes, but not immediate. Did not grow up in church. Was not saved till I was 10. And that was at a tent meeting. By accident. For me. Uh, the, you know, the babysitter across the street said, took me to a tent meeting. <laughs> and, but I was not really discipled until my latter year of high school and in college. And was not really until I was about... <clears throat> 1819 that I understood what the Lord was doing in my life or beginning to do you know that changes over the years uh, but I was away at a missions cam uh, camp for college students in uh, Ridgecrest Black Mountain North Carolina hence Ford known to me as Mecca <laughs> Uh, when the Lord spoke to my heart and I reached that point where I told him alright God you know all I ever wanted in the Lord was in the world in life was just uh, a wife a family a good job I don't want to be famous I don't want to be rich but if it means giving all that up if it means surrendering all that and giving it away I do that just to go where you want me to go, when you want me to go, and how you want me to go. And that was the beginning of quite an adventure. Uh, wherein he has never failed, he has never waffled, and he has never reneged. I have many times. And but what he spoke to me about that week was through James chapter 2 and I'm just going to read verses 14 to the end of the chapter there it says what good is it brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him do you get that question you know we can look at this as a surface level and talk about works and faith but but this is not a surface level thing He's saying that if you really believe, it prompts your behavior. Real faith is always evidenced by external behavior. You know, I, I've been Baptist my whole life since I was saved. Now I'm glad to just be Christian. 
But <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you got it, brother. Is there anything else around here? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I've said for years, what you really believe doesn't come from what I hear out of your mouth. What you really believe comes to me through what I witness your behavior doing. That's true of me. That's true of everyone. I can tell you all kinds of things, but what I you hang out with me for a week, 24-7. You watch me. You'll see what I really believe. Because you cannot separate faith and action. If Abraham had just had a head faith, we never would have had an Isaac and he never would have carried Isaac up the mountain. And by the way, let's talk about Isaac's faith. Isaac was not a little kid when that happened. If you do the math, he was probably 30 years old. Now, if your daddy's 100 and he wants to put you on an altar and kill you to the Lord, what are you going to do if you're 30 years old? But that's not what we have in Scripture, is it? No, he obeyed because he trusted his dad. He knew his dad. And by the way, I have a pretty good idea that because of that, he also trusted God. Because I'm sure somewhere in those 30 years, he'd heard the tale of how mom and dad had waited for him a long time. <laughs> you know? So, I get back to the scripture, sorry. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You know, when I was 19 and I read that for the first time, it was like a big old clap of thunder. <laughs> I was like, oh my. Satan and his demons do believe. They don't doubt who God is. That's our territory. Do you want to be shown foolish person that apart from the works faith faith works is uh, is useless faith without works is useless sorry was not abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son isaac on the altar you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. In fact, you can go back to Genesis and follow that. You can go to Hebrews and follow that. And in Hebrews, we get a little bit more of the story. Because in Hebrews, we find out that Abraham believed that even if God allowed him to strike the blow, God would raise Isaac from the dead. 
And he goes on to say, and figuratively, God did raise Isaac from the dead. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Real faith affects how I think. Real faith affects how I speak when I allow it. There's another whole chapter in James about that in our tongue. Real faith affects what I do, my motive, what I'm passionate about. Isn't it, just as an aside, isn't it neat that in God's plan, that the lineage, the earthly lineage of the Messiah, even though God has a chosen people to, for, for Messiah to come through and for Scripture to come to us through, isn't it kind of fun that Rahab the prostitute and Ruth the Moabitess are in that lineage? Two Gentile ladies Rahab of ill repute because of her former profession and Ruth a Moabitess. You can read on in the Old Testament to find out what the Israelites and God thought about the Moabites. And yet God in His love and in His mercy put them in the earthly lineage of Jesus. Why should, we, why should we be surprised at that? I mean, go look in the mirror. <laughs> if God can love us, why are we surprised that He loved, loves Rahab and Ruth? Why do I tell you a whole scripture teaching when I'm supposed to be telling you about thirst? And that's this. I know not a lot, but a little bit of your history as a church, as a congregation. I know that you may be small in number now. And maybe there was a time that you weren't small in number. But what are numbers? You know, every great thing that our Lord has accomplished not since the resurrection, but since the day of creation, started with one willing heart. Not six, not ten, not twenty. One. And God, who knows what God wants to do in this town, uh, and in this state, and in this nation, that might be sitting in one of these chairs right now. He knows that, not us. And so as I tell you about Thirst Missions, I just want to challenge you, don't look at your numbers. Look instead at how great God is. Because also in the small amount of time that your congregation has existed 
I do know it has a great heritage of faith with works in this very community. And I know that every one of you will go to your family and to your fellow workers and to your friends. When you leave this place, you disperse all over town or the county. And wherever your body is, that's where the Lord can and will use you like you have never dreamed. For His glory, for His Son's reputation, and for the love and mercy and grace of those who are not yet in Christ. God wants to use every one of us. Every one of us. Now that being said, let me tell you about thirst. We started 10 years ago in the country of Belize. Uh, actually, our founder went to Belize on a mission trip when he was a college student 20-some years ago, 30 years ago, and, and fell in love with Belize and the people. Well, the people and then Belize. And felt called to them. And so for the last going on 11 years, we've been in Belize partnering with local pastors in the country of Belize. Uh, it's a very poor country. It's a small country, you know. Uh, it used to be British Honduras. It used to be part of the British Commonwealth. Uh, they don't really have a standing army of their own. Their only defense force is still a contingent of British troops, uh, which have no idea where they're at. They've only got one real big city in the whole country. Uh, and, uh, but it's, it's, an, it's a Hispanic populous but it's an English speaking nation alright so all the signs are in English not even English and Spanish they're in English period <laughs> but when you get out into the villages and the small towns uh, of course the the younger people speak English but most people speak Spanish so um, it's a unique place it's a very poor place, about 30 to 40 percent unemployment. And those who are unemployed, are, are employed, I mean, are a lot of them doing just menial things. Um, so almost all the pastors and beliefs, no matter what the denomination, are bivocational. And so there is a lot that they could do that their hearts desire to do, that they feel called to do, that they just aren't able to do and so our philosophy has been from the get-go to develop long-term partnerships with churches there in Belize and their pastors and to try and get American congregations to send teams to help do all kinds of things from taking mercy bags of food door-to-door -to, -door to where the pastor knows the need is uh, to doing uh, sport camps and vacation Bible school. When I was at Chapel Hill, which I was until May for 21 years, we took two medical mission trips. We took two medical and dental teams to the same church and village uh, in a village called San Juan. And 
just to provide medical care. They, they have doctors and pharmacies in Belize, but the, the people, average people can't afford them. So, in the district of what, if they're so small, we would consider it a large county, but it's more like a state. In the district of Orange, where I've been a couple of times, there's one hospital, one government hospital for the whole state. Yeah, and the local people tell you you only go there to die. So medical care is a big need. But anyway, uh, just doing, uh, the schools are wide open. You can go into the schools and do ministry, present the gospel, take Bibles, uh, anything you desire. Uh, and so what we do, again, is we, we develop long-term partnerships with actual churches, just like this one. And we try and partner up American churches and teams who will go down there and help do what needs to be done there that they really need help with. And then also, we try and encourage a long-term relationship between American churches and Belizean churches. So, it's a little bit like the book of Acts. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> and um, we work with all the denominations. Um, we will try and place an American team with a team in their denominational vein, if that's their desire. Uh, a lot of churches don't even don't even ask for that. Uh, some do, uh, but they're there, you know, and so we can do that. Uh, with uh, two years ago, we, we expanded into Alaska. Um, there is some of the, I forget the name of the valley, but it's out in the bush. Uh, we're in the suburbs of Anchorage, and then there's on out into the, the wilderness, several towns and villages where we're, we're ministering. Um, people say, why go to Alaska? If you were guessing, why would you say well, we went to Alaska, really? I know there's a lot of poor people down there. Alcoholism is rampant, very rampant. Mm -hmm. Indigenous people, and where they're actually going and buying like cleaning fluid, and you see them walking around town drinking cleaning fluid. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because life is so bad. Yeah. That's part of exactly why. Um, you know, from May to August, you get about 20 hours of daylight. <laughs> and from uh, September till April, you get about 20 hours of darkness. You know, in the, in the peak of the winter season, you'll get about four hours of daylight. Yeah, I'm a flower. I, I would not do well there. Um, the good news is, is that during the summer months, we're able to do a lot of work because if you're not careful, you'll take on a project and stay at it for 20 hours, you know, because it doesn't get dark. But Alaska is the size of California, Texas, and Florida combined. It has the population of Columbus, Ohio. So it's the least populated state. It's a vast wilderness. But it is also the most unchurched and ungospel reached state in the, the United States. And 
alcoholism and drug abuse are rampant suicide and depression and other mental health issues are rampant and sexual and physical abuse are rampant. They lead all 50 states and and it's um, and the indigenous people they're well over well, let me get this right I think well over 10 different Native American tribes represented. However, most all of them have lost their sense of Native identity. And alcoholism and abuse is rampant in the Native American community. As well as Native American spiritualism. So we're talking about a people groups who are the most unreached with the truth of Christ. Um, Two of the school districts that we work in in Anchorage suburbs are the most diverse in the United States with over 60 different ethnicities represented. It seems like all over the world if you want to get away from something or you're running for something you end up in Alaska. It's like the final frontier for real. Uh, and in the, you get out of the city, a lot of these areas have no real law enforcement. It really is kind of like the Wild West. Um, and so um, the need there is great. The churches there are smaller and they struggle simply because a lot of the people there have run away from the religion of Christianity. Now, you know the difference, right? between uh, a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ and the religion of Christianity. Yeah, so a lot of them are up there because they don't want to hear from us. <laughs> and so what we do up there, again, is we work with local churches and we help them do youth ministry, children's ministry. We do a lot of uh, soup kitchen ministry and work with the homeless on the streets of Anchorage. And, and even in the villages that are homeless because of the other issues. Um, there is a ministry up there that we, we partner with called the Dream Center. And the Dream Center is something that the Lord raised up. Uh, these, these people were in extremely wealthy in Arizona. And God called them to move outside of Anchorage in the woods and start a a uh, in-house drug rehab that's based on nothing but scripture discipleship. They can only take 15 men a year. They've just added women a couple years ago. You commit to go and live in-house for a year, no ifs, ands, or buts, and you have to do what you're told when you're told. <laughs> but they, they travel wherever in the U.S. and pick people up. They carry them up there. And their success rate is like 100%. Maybe 99. There's always a, you know, there's always a black sheep there. But, but I've been working with addiction counseling for uh, both as a recipient and an administrator for years. And the, re the reciprocity rate amongst addicts in recovery, the best is 40 and 50 percent. But, but not up there. Not at the Dream Center. See, addicts go in, disciples of Jesus come out. So it, it's an awesome thing. That, that's why we're in Alaska. 
All right, we're on the Texas coast because of the, you know, Hurricane Harvey just parked itself there for two weeks and devastated the area. <clears throat> the news cameras are gone. In fact, as soon as Harvey was over, Maria hit Puerto Rico, <laughs> you know, and so the news cameras are gone, but hundreds of people's homes are still ruined and they didn't qualify for any government money for a bunch of reasons. They may, they, you know, the area there, the river bayous on the Texas coast, the Louisiana coast, they flood a lot. And so the Colorado River flows through this area. So they've flooded in the past. And because they took their government help and either paid off their debts with the house or just rebuilt what they had, the fine print from FEMA says you have to rebuild to this code, the standard. And they did not. And so a lot of these poor people in this area, not all are poor. We, I even met with one people who had, they had built their own huge house when they were young. Now they're in their 70s and they're rebuilding it. <laughs> but long and the short of it is they didn't qualify for any help. They didn't get any government help. And so they're... And then we work with people who did receive government help, but it only goes so far. Uh, plus, a lot of people went in after the storms uh, who are just evil people and uh, robbed people blind, promised them stuff that they never received and took their money. So that's why we're in Texas. And then in Puerto Rico, um, Puerto Rico is an island of 3 million people, like 3.2 million people, 3.6. 2 million of that live in San Juan, the big city. Uh, the other million inhabit all the towns and villages through the rest of the island. San Juan got help quick and fast and first. Um, the rest of the island, the last part of the island got power turned back on uh, about a month ago, uh, around the very first end of August, 1st of September. The entire electricity grid for the island was wiped out. Okay? And um, so the churches in Puerto Rico are kind of, Puerto Rico's interesting. Okay? I've been waiting my whole life for them to vote yes to be a state. They finally voted yes last summer, and then Maria wiped them off the map. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> um, it's been an American territory all of our lives. Um, they have American democracy there. When you go there, there's an interstate system. You're not going to notice you're in a place that isn't here except for the foliage and the fact that they speak Spanish, not English. And so if you go into a church in Puerto Rico, it's going to be like going into a church here. I mean, it's just Hispanic. It's just speaking Spanish. However, outside of San Juan, a lot of the people who could afford to left after the storm. They either went to the city or they left and went to family in, in the United States because their, their homes were gone. 
Well, the people who could afford to leave were also the people who had money who were giving to their churches. So most of the churches are really struggling now out in the rest of the island. Um, and their mindset is like us. If a disaster happens here, our churches become relief centers. Well, that's their mindset. So they've been trying to help their villages and their cities and their areas, uh, but half the people are gone and most of the money's gone. And uh, the people who are in Puerto Rico, uh, unlike us, you know, they buy a piece of land. This happens all over Latin America if you've not ever traveled from Mexico down. You buy a piece of land, you may start out with cardboard. You may start out with cardboard and, and wood pallets. And then you may go scrounge tin. But over the years, you get yourself to the point where you can afford a little concrete and you build a concrete wall and you just keep on and you keep on. So they may have been building their home for 10 or 20 years. They don't have house insurance. There's no such thing as homeowners for them, these people. And so when Maria took the roof off or took half of the house away, they're back to scratch. And so what we're doing in Puerto Rico is outside of the big city. We're in the center of the island, in the mountains, in several places, and we are simply helping people rebuild their homes. So, and working again through the local church. So, all right. All that just to say, that's what we do. We just work right now in those four places. We also work in London, England, but uh, London is kind of cost prohibitive. <laughs> Uh, when we're trying to get Americans to go there and serve the Lord, uh, it, unless you have a lot of extra cash on hand, London is not really easy to get to. Uh, oh, it's easy to get to. It's not easy to afford. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to share with you about thirst because um, I'm a product of short-term missions. First, when my neighbor, who was a friend, said, come to this meeting, as a 10-year-old, you know. Second, as a college student, not only when I surrendered to the Lord fully in understanding, but from that point on, participated in short-term trips and organized short-term trips. I, my entire life in Christ has involved short-term missions because this is what happens on a short-term mission you are where you don't know anybody even if it's here in the United States and you are where you don't know all the answers you don't know who supplies all the supplies you need uh, the people that you go to help are going to be different than you and, you know, if you like a lot of different people all the time, that's no biggie. But a lot of people don't like a lot of people who are different all the time. And so they get in that position and they go, <gasps> Now what do I do? And a funny thing happens that's very serious. When you find yourself 
in a place where you don't know everyone, where you don't have all the solutions, and you don't know how to get all the solutions, your eyes get opened. And you begin to see that God still works. Just like He does in Scripture. Supernaturally. That the right thing shows up at the right time and no one manipulated it getting there. That He answers prayer. If it's for Him and it's to help other people, God will always show up. As long as we give Him the glory and the credit, He will always show up. And so, even though you're small in number, I want to challenge you. Whether it's right here in this community, or it's with someone like us at Thirst, I want to challenge you this year, in the next year, we're about to hit the holidays and then everything will be crazy. But in this next year, come together with your pastor and do something that's outside of your comfort zone. I don't make you any promises because only God answers prayer. But you start to do things that are beyond your ability. Do you hear that? Beyond your ability. You see, most Christian churches in our culture do lots of fancy great things. But they do it in the flesh. Because they've got the manpower and they've got the money. And they've got the creativity. And they do these wild, crazy things all over the place. But it's in the flesh. See, God does what we can't. God does what you and I can't do. So if God puts one of these places on your heart, step out on faith. You can't do it. You don't have the money. You don't have the vehicle. You don't have whatever. Okay? Great. God has everything. And He can supply everything you need. All He needs is your belief and your determination to do it for His sake and His glory. And He never, ever fails. So. And, and I have some stuff back here. I'll leave with everybody later. <laughs>